Welcome to In The Room, the Vital Leadership Podcast. Vital Church is a multicultural, bilingual church located in McAllen, Texas. Visit our website, vitalchurch.com, where you'll find links to all our media platforms. For now, sit in the room with us as Pastor Carla leads the conversation, Pastor Charlie adds commentary, and the Vital Church staff provides input and feedback on topics of church ministry, leadership, vision, culture, and more. We also sprinkle in a little Spanish, a little humor, and some storytelling. Let's get in the room. Okay, good morning, guys. Good morning. Today's topic, let me tell you how we came about to this topic. After we left the podcast last week, uh, we were going out to lunch, and uh, Abraham made a comment that he was going to share during the podcast, but he felt it would open up another can of worms. And then I took that home to Carla, and we said, well, why don't we tackle this subject as an actual podcast? Well, last week, you did mention something within our conversation. Yes. I don't know if you remember that that phrase that you shared. Yeah, which, we, we were talking about giving people the benefit of the doubt. Yes. And I said, when you can't do that because there's a pattern that's being established, then you need to confront. Confront right? and correct. And correct. You need yeah. to address the, the person. person directly. But Abraham, I'd like for you to share the comment that you made to me. And then, uh, Carla, you can take over from there. We've been emphasizing so much on grace and giving benefit people the benefit of the doubt uh, and make sure that you do it with care and understand uh, what issues people may be having at home. And I was thinking to myself, well, some of the listeners might be thinking, well, do you ever correct anything? <laughs> like, do you ever actually address any issues or do you ever actually? And I was talking to, uh, to the pastors and, and, and telling them, well, that kind of culture actually is is more helpful to be able to communicate correction. Yeah. One of the things I, I wrote down having to do with that, it says a healthy attitude and a healthy heart makes correct correction easier and commonplace. Yeah. Wow. Why? Because you know that correction comes from a good place. Yes. yes. When we know that the correction comes for your betterment, for the advancement of the vision, then you're not going to be defensive. And that's the next part. There's nothing to be defend against when you know that correction comes from a good, place. a good place. And then thirdly, it's progress then becomes the norm because you start seeing that the changes that you're making are actually uh, providing results or they're giving they're results. Benefiting they're benefiting you. They're being implemented. So the topic of our conversation this morning is exercising authority and discipline. Come on. It's not a very popular topic, <laughs> but Paul states in his letters that it is necessary and he exhorts the church to not be passive. And we also have the, the example of our relationship between ourselves and the Lord. And we all know that a loving father disciplines his children. Yes. yes. I want to read out of Hebrews 12. We have John with us in the room. He's going to read for us Hebrews 12 verses 5 and 6. And verse 11. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the ones, the one who he loves and he chastens every one he accepts as his son. Verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Amen. That's awesome. It reiterates what we were commenting a while ago, that when people see discipline and, and they take the discipline, they see that it's actually benefiting them. That's encouraging for people. And they know it comes from a place of love like the father 
corrects his children. I think that what Abraham mentioned, that's why mm -hmm. it's so important, right? Mm -hmm. That you establish a culture of love and grace so that when correction does come, it's received in a good manner. Yes. The word discipline in and of itself in church circles has taken on a negative connotation, right? Yes. Especially in our Hispanic culture, when we spoke of church discipline, it was like the church timeout, right? This person's been bad. <laughs> this person's been, yeah, it was disciplina. You, you sit in the corner, you sit down, you don't participate, and everybody's going to know that you did something wrong. You committed a sin. <laughs> so now when we mention it, we forget that discipline is also establishing healthy patterns that are going to bring order to your life. Mm -hmm. And so as we go into this subject, I want you guys to see it in that way. We're yes. trying to establish order in our lives yes. so that we're more efficient in a healthy culture. Yes. And so the first thing here is what is discipline? I didn't necessarily want to bring a definition, but I wanted to bring an example that I came across and I think it describes it perfectly. A novice once asked the great Michelangelo how he sculpted such beautiful statues. Pointing to an angel he had just chiseled out of marble, he said, I saw the angel in the marble, and I chiseled it until I set it free. Wow, that's awesome. And that's exactly what discipline is to me. God wants us to be all that we can be. He yes. knows what is in us. Yes. Therefore, he has to knock off the rough edges of our sinfulness mm. and chisel away the wrongful attitudes and yes. character flaws in order for that to happen, he disciplines us. Come on, that's good. And it's amazing uh, the way the great Michelangelo responded. As an artist, he did it and knowing there was something beautiful in that rock. And that's the approach our father takes towards us. He's like, because I love you, because I know what's in you, I have to start chiseling away what does not please me, what you don't need along the way. Right off the bat, I, I just wanted to kind of uh, paint the picture of what discipline is. The second thing, why should we discipline? Discipline is not punishment. When we were growing up, uh, you mentioned it, it felt like punishment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when God disciplines us, he's not trying to get back at us. He is drawing us back to him. A lot of people, a lot of unbelievers or people who backslid, they don't want to walk back into a church because they feel they're going to be shamed. They feel they're going to be judged yes. for their actions. But when we know that it's just God trying to draw us back to him, it's a different approach and we embrace it. The Lord disciplines those he loves. We read it to get them out of harm's way. Yes. And hun, you say an example all the time. We have our boys, right? You, you say it better. The example of like just well, opening say, the door. What I say is that if I were to give them complete freedom, and not establish parameters and just tell them, oh, because I'm a loving, loving father, you have complete freedom, do whatever you want, go wherever you go. Then they're going to walk out the front door, they're going to go to the street, and they're going to be in harm's way. And sometimes we don't understand that God's parameters, as you're pointing out, Carla, are precisely to protect us. Another example that I use of my, my boys is, you know, they have their cousins, they have their friends. Sometimes their friends come over. If my boys misbehave, I discipline my boys and I get after them and they'll tell me naturally, well, why aren't you getting after the rest of them? Well, because they're not my kids. Mm -hmm. And this points out what, what we read. You know that you're a legitimate child of God 
because he exerts discipline upon you. Remember that the church is an extension of God's love. Yes. And if God disciplines his children, then by default, the church also has to exercise some sort of discipline and correction. And that's the perfect segue to what I was going to mention. So we've established that the Lord disciplines us to draw us back to him, not to get back at us, to draw us back to him and to protect us. And pastors are the extension of, of God's discipline here in the church. We are the representatives of Christ here in the church. So naturally, we have the responsibility. I said in the beginning, this is not a very popular subject because, you know, this is a, a tough place to be as pastors. Mm -hmm. We feel an earthly love. Imagine the love of the Father. Yeah. It's much greater than ours. We gladly celebrate you. We gladly give to you. We gladly just uh, rejoice when you when you have victories in your life. We laugh when you laugh. We cry when you cry. But when it comes to discipline, we don't shy away from it because we know it's a responsibility and we know God called us to do it. And when we read the letters uh, of Paul, when he wrote to the churches, he even told the churches and the leaders, do not be passive when you have to exercise authority and discipline. So as pastors, we have to model the intentions of why discipline was put in place. It's It's the heart of God. There's a particular situation where we have to exercise our authority and, and put discipline in place, but we're going to do it so that that person is drawn back to the Lord, comes out of harm's way, and that they get back on the right path so that they can uh, move forward effectively and in victory uh, with what the Lord has for their lives. I and so as pastors, we have to stand on that before we exert any type of discipline. Going back to what you were saying I think my personality is not a confrontational one. There's people that love confrontation. There's people <laughs> that are looking for it, and it's like they're gung-ho about it. My personality is different. I'm not confrontational by nature. But like you, you stressed, Carla, sometimes your position of leadership or authority forces you into having to confront. But one thing that really brought me a lot of hope and a lot of peace, I think it was Andy Stanley, was saying that non-confrontational people are actually the best confronters. He was saying, because it's not in your nature to confront, you're very careful. You're yes. very thoughtful. Uh, <laughs> you almost plan how you're going to confront the person rather yes. than going off of the, the emotion or the passion True. of the moment, which is what gets us in trouble sometimes. And I've yes. really applied it. And I'm saying, yes. you know what, because I don't like to confront, yes. let me think it out. Sometimes I even write notes, you know, when I'm going <laughs> to confront yes. somebody. These are the points that I want to touch. These are the reasons why, as you're pointing out right now, it's, it's how, why. All of those things are important in conveying the message to the person that, hey, we're exhorting you, we're confronting you, but it's out of a place of love. Yes. Go ahead, Abraham. What you guys practice as pastors, and I, I've taken it in my personal life as a very good way of being able to moderate how you react to something that happens in the moment. And I hear it a lot from you guys. It's like, let me think about it. We'll talk about it. Give me a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what? Let's talk about it tomorrow. When sometimes you feel that that grievance or that issue was so grave that, that you have to address it in that moment. Right. But sometimes when you address it in that moment, you don't have time yes. to think it through. Mm -hmm. yes. You don't have time to treat it with grace. You don't have time 
to be able to think of all the repercussions of one thing or another. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is just very practical. Yes. Uh, what what you guys do is yeah. give me a little time. Let me think about it. Yeah. Yes. I've started to use it in my life with my kids. <laughs> Yesterday I had a, a, a little alone time with my son. His birthday's coming up. So I'm like, hey, well, what do you want to get for your birthday? And he's like, well, I'd like this. And he says, you know what? But I, but I also like this. And the second part of it or the second option the second for option. me was... Hey, you're not quite of age to be able to engage in that type of sport yet. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. But I was like, you know what? Let's give it to next year. Yeah. So in my own family and in, in mm -hmm. my own daily walk, I've started to use that and just, you know what? Give it a little time because yeah. sometimes we want to react in that moment to feel assertive. Yes. And we make mistakes. We do. You know that the Bible talks about the physical discipline between parents and kids in the Proverbs where it says, don't spare the rod. And so we get that phrase, spare the rod, spoil the child, you know. The reference there, in Jewish culture, they had a rod that they placed in a specific part of the house. It was usually an elevated part of the house. And that was the designated rod for discipline. And the idea was that when your kids, when the kid misbehaved or he needed to be disciplined, having to go, having to climb up and get that rod gave the parent Mm -hmm. The few seconds, mm -hmm. the half a minute, the minute that they needed to kind of exert discipline, but with a level head, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to, you know, the Mexican yeah. moms, Cállate. in the moment, they'll, they'll hit somebody or... Somebody's mentioning the chancla. <laughs> the chancla, yeah. It's just they like, got the chancla. Because when, you, when you're upset and you want to exert discipline, the instinct is to do it on the fly, off the cuff, <laughs> based on the immediate emotion that you're feeling. We're applying that in the spiritual and the leadership sense as well. Hey, take some time, cool off a little bit. Um, sometimes it's going to be a couple of minutes. Sometimes it's going to be a couple of hours, maybe a day or two. Yes. And then come back with a level head and uh, exercise discipline the right way. Let's go on to the third point. How should we discipline, mm -hmm. right? When your heart's in the right place and you have the heart of the father yes. and you know what the intent of and purpose of discipline is, then you're in the right place to exhort yes. effectively. And so how should we dip discipline? There's two parts to this. According to God's word. That's the first part. So Matthew 18, 15 and 16. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of the two or three witnesses. Let's take this first part. If your brother or sister sins, we're not going to correct every single little issue that people bring to you. Mm -hmm. When it's gossip, when did you see how she looked at me? Little frivolous things. Sometimes when you address frivolous things, you validate them. Yes. And they don't deserve validation. And they're a waste of time. Thank you for saying that, yeah. huh? because it truly is. Yeah. It goes back, you know, the relationship between the father and, and children. When you see... Children fighting over a toy. Sometimes I'm looking from afar at my boys and I'm saying, let me see what they're going to do. Yeah. I'm going to see if they'll figure it out. We don't always step in, hun. Before you know it, they figured it out. Yeah. They're very competitive, very competitive boys. So can you imagine if I'm trying to solve every single problem, every little issue they have, they're not going to be able to figure out their own problems, right? And But when we see, okay, this, I think this is where we step in. You know, we step in. And the Word of God says, when your brother or sister sins, I want to emphasize this. What do we discipline? 
We correct moral issues. Mm -hmm. Issues of immorality, we can say that. Sin issues, yeah. right? Wrongful actions. Yes. When somebody hurts somebody else or just something. Injustice. Injustice. You know, yeah. Or actions that could make others stumble. Correct. Those are some examples. Those are true reasons to exercise authority and to exercise discipline. The reason why I wanted just to emphasize this is because we can't get lost in in coming to pastors with every, like I said, every single little thing. Uh, I think know. that everybody in your positions, you're like a filter, right? <laughs> Not everything has to get to your higher ups, right? Whether it's your leader or the pastors, because sometimes there's so many other things to deal with that in your position, you have some level of discretion, right? And if these, if these are things that are minor, then ask God for wisdom and discernment and address them, right? And sometimes, mm -hmm. like Carla says, it's resolved right then and there. It doesn't warrant a formal meeting exactly. or calling into the principal's office type exactly. of thing. You know what I mean? So We also don't address assumptions. Pastor, I think that person doesn't like me. Yeah. Okay, let's go talk to the person. I mean... Yeah. Where is the, where are the facts? I didn't like the look. They what gave happened? Me. Well, they just looked at me and said, "Whoa." Yeah. Assumptions we don't address. Correct. My husband and I always say, if there are facts, if right. there's proof, or there's a witness. Yes. Right. Not that we don't believe people, but we don't. We just don't go by your assumptions. Right. The thing is this: mm -hmm. you get people that will come say, "Hey, pastor, this person's doing this, or this leader's doing that." Okay. Do you have evidence? No, but I witnessed it. Okay, are you willing to come into the meeting with us and confront the person? Oh, no, no, I don't want them to know who said. Yes. And in those moments, we always say, okay, look, either we need evidence or we need you to be willing to confront the person or be willing to allow mm -hmm. us to say that you said. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it's not that we don't believe you. It's just that when you don't have any tangible evidence, so to speak, all the person needs to say is, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Or mm -hmm. that wasn't me. Or that didn't happen. And that's the end of the conversation. Yes. It forces us to have to assume, as what you're saying, mm -hmm. things that might not have happened that we have no evidence for. It puts us in a tough spot. So for pastors that might be listening, this is a filter for us, right? Mm -hmm. Right away. It's, it's probably the first filter. Yes. Do you have evidence? Will you allow us to present that evidence? Will you, will you come into the meeting, into the confrontation with us? If the answer is no, then... We can't Most of the much. time, we drop that issue. We might keep an eye out for yeah. something that we always that, say that we yeah, will keep, we'll keep an, an eye, eye out, out for it. Be vigilant, if mm -hmm. you will. If the second person comes with the same, yes. Know. And then what Abraham is saying is that once it becomes a pattern, now we have two or three people saying the same thing about a leader, or a leader saying the same thing about a volunteer. Several people then will, based on the pattern, mm -hmm. will call the person in and say, "Hey, look." We feel the need to address it yes. because once we start getting feedback from multiple sources, then there's probably at least some level of truth to yes. whatever the allegation yes. is. And the point is that we try to exert discipline with grace and with truth. Of course. Right? Truth. This is the part that I'm trying to emphasize here. Um, we respect when a person says, well, we, I don't want my name mentioned. And, and we can say, okay, let's just be prayerful and we're going to be vigilant. Another person comes, that's what you were explaining, hon. Uh, then that's like, okay, yeah. all right. We don't need a witness in the room necessarily because we already have several examples. Um, but always 
truth, never hearsay, never murmuring or gossip and things like that. Because this is not easy for us, honey. Right. To sit in a room with somebody and say, you know what, this is what you're doing and this is a consequence. Yeah. Because every action has a consequence, sure. right? And it's not easy for you and me. I know you said I'm not a confrontational person. I don't consider myself a confrontational person, but I do consider myself a problem solver. And I am a firm believer that when you don't address something in the early stages, mm -hmm. it can get really ugly. Sure. I don't enjoy the problem solving part of things, right? But I find it necessary. Of course. I find it essential to maintain a healthy relationship, especially here when we see each other every day or amongst leaders and volunteers, yeah. it's healthy because we cannot ignore it. That was one of uh, Paul's issues with the church. Yeah. You can't sweep it under the rug. This is not going to go away because you ignore it and you pretend it's not there. Yes. You know, you have to address it, but you address it the way the Father models it for us, right? And with the right intentions, discipline is not meant to shame but to shape a person. Yes, that's good. How would you like to be corrected? How would you like to be approached? And the Lord will never do that. He will never discipline us to shame us. He'll discipline us to shape us. Yes, Rodrigo. I have a question. Uh, do you often discipline like people that is not volunteering formally or, or it's, it applies to all the congregation? Okay, here's where we have to differentiate between correction and discipline yes right as pastors that's a good question our duty is to correct anybody and everybody who is under our spiritual authority now discipline is a lot easier with people that are volunteering because there's something they're held accountable for. that that they're held accountable exactly so somebody who's not serving you can't take any privilege or any participation in ministry away from them because they're not Mm -hmm. active but i feel that we should still correct yes uh, but then somebody who's in leadership obviously they have to be an example they have to practice integrity and when they're not doing that then they need to be removed from that position of leadership abraham even in the bible context you'll see that different languages was used for different positions yes the men of god paul yes was would exhort People of faith yes. in a much different way than he would exhort or speak to people that hadn't come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Sure. Mm -hmm. So so we see different levels and different language used yes. when it comes to somebody that knows and should know, as opposed to somebody that might be new and is learning. We need to know that as church staffers, yes. we're getting paid to do a job. And if a job is required and we're not meeting that expectation, there is a clear right from our employers to be able to confront us and say, hey, you're not meeting the standard. Correct. Right? Mm -hmm. Correct. Mm -hmm. Then you go to a volunteer level. Wait a minute. They're volunteering their time. It's a different way of managing that. Correct. Even if you have to address a similar situation, it's got to be handled totally different. Yes. I think what Abraham was referencing is 1 Corinthians 5, 12 and 13, where Paul says, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. Mm. But it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside. But as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. So again, there are occasions in where you have to remove a person mm -hmm. from a position. And then by outsiders, Paul is addressing people that 
are not in the church, obviously, people that might not be believers. But the principle is established yeah. that, you know, there's the inner circle and then there's the outer circle and then there's the multitude circle. The further the circle is from the center, the more grace, if you will, the, that you need to exercise. Mm -hmm. One important thing that I don't want to miss is that when you address people that have to be disciplined, you address the, only the people that are involved. If they're a part of the problem or part of the solution, those are the people you address. We're not here to put anybody on blast. We're not here to gossip. We're not here to tear people down. Yeah. We're here to build people up. We want to see them revitalized. Right. And we want, we want to see them triumphant over the situation. We want to see them victorious. And we don't want to see them just stay down and stay, you know, stay hurt. I wanted to mention, um, it's very sad when, especially a pastor, will take their position just to feel like I can shame you whenever I feel like it. Yeah. And it doesn't matter who's around because I'm the pastor. Yeah. That's, that's very sad. One thing that I shy away from intentionally is leveraging the pulpit, leveraging the oh microphone that's a good point. to shame people. I mean, I've seen it. I've witnessed people sometimes by name. Sometimes all they lacked was mentioning the name. They're shaming the person publicly. And one thing that I would exhort pastors, people who take the pulpit, don't ever contaminate your message in that way. Because then you're not being proactive, you're being reactive. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. not to say, again, that there aren't occasions where we need to address maybe a pattern of sin that has flourished in the church. Right. I mean, the Bible, it's a double-edged sword. Sometimes it's going to pierce. It's like a surgeon's knife. But what does a surgeon's knife do? It cuts you, but with the purpose of healing you, That's with the right. purpose of That's getting good. the cancer out, with the purpose yes. of, of bringing restoration. Yes. The Word of God, it's not a machete that you wield uh, violently. It's already right. sharp That's in and right. of itself. Which means you don't have to use it forcefully That's because right. then what you're going to do is you're going to use the word of God to hurt people rather than to heal them. And the other thing that it does, it's an unfair advantage. True. Because your voice is being projected through the big speakers and yes. the person that you're addressing or the person that you're referencing has no way of defending themselves or mm -hmm. stating their position mm -hmm. or stating their case. Yes. And so, again, I just feel that it's beneath us to do it in that way. And you speak about a platform, uh, about a pulpit, but what about social media? Yeah. I mean, it's a very obvious one, like, oh, they're having issues at the church. <laughs> the pastor's mad at somebody. Yeah. That is dangerous, yes, yes. you know? You're opening your heart and your wound to everybody. You're opening the situation to everybody when only two, three, four people, you know, could have just, you know, left it there. And when you do it on social media, the other thing is that there's all these people that are not believers, that are not True. churchgoers, and we're being a bad witness to them. Yes. They're not going to want to come to church. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be like, look at all the drama. Look at all the <laughs> gossip that goes on in church. One of the things that we stress a lot amongst our counseling team and our pastors is when we're dealing with situations that are very delicate, right, in nature, it's not something we should be speaking about publicly. It always has to be as much as possible done in private, yes. right? Because like you said, if, if there are parties around us that have nothing to do with the problem or the solution, we can bring discouragement. We can be a bad testimony. They're not going to trust us with their issues, you know? 
if they feel there's no privacy, they're not going to deal with it in a loving and contained way. I don't want to open up my heart to what I'm facing. Right? And if you're ever on the receiving end of correction or discipline, one of the things that you need to consider is that God sometimes exposes the sin out of love. True. I know that, you know, during pandemic season, there was a lot of hidden sins. And I, I'm Certain talking about true. the church in general. And some of the ones that we had to deal with, we always on the front end of that meeting or that correction, we would say, hey, we need you to understand that this is God's love mm -hmm. manifesting. Yes. He, he's exposing the sin before it took you further than you wanted to go because that's the way that sin works, right? Yes. You begin flirting with sin and then sin ends up taking you captive. True. And God exposes the sin before it gets worse sometimes see it that way hey man god loves me so much yes that he wants to set me free now before the bondage before the chains are bigger thicker and more difficult to break exactly and once we go through all these things hon when we uh we understand first of all as pastors the purpose of discipline yes. how it's executed you know and then you confront the people involved and we talk about it and then at the end you and I always say, okay, what are the parameters yes. that are going to be put in place towards the person's restoration? Now that we've talked about it, now that we've approached it, now that we saw it from every angle and every side, these are the parameters that we're going to put in place, and the parameters are always according to the offense. Yes. Okay? You can't exhort and discipline a, a woman trying to sell her products in the parking lot the same way you would exhort a person that, uh, you know, what can we say? Has committed adultery. Has committed adultery. You don't deal with it the same way, right? So according to the offense is how we take our approach towards applying disciplinary actions. Like I said, this is not a popular subject. Right. This is not a subject of like, woohoo, right? Excitement. And, but it's necessary. But it's necessary. And it's, it's necessary biblical. And it's biblical. So going back to the parameters, some of those parameters sometimes are we restrict people from certain privileges that they had. There's restrictions sometimes as far as involvement in the church. Yes. There's restrictions sometimes as far as what events you can attend or you can't be a part yes. of. There's different restrictions that are, that are set in place, you know, according to the offense. That discipline, those parameters, those disciplinary actions are always accompanied by counsel. Yes. Every time we set a disciplinary action for a person, we always tell the people, along with these parameters, along with this time of discipline, along with these restrictions, you're going to have counseling side by side. Because you know? when you when you just punish somebody and put them on timeout, so to speak, on spiritual timeout or church timeout, <laughs> if you don't put a corrective process, right. a restorative process in place, then you're not exercising the love of the Father. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it is necessary. I was going to say that even removing somebody, restricting somebody from certain privileges, mm -hmm. leadership, or involvement, even that is biblical. Yes. We referenced 1 Corinthians 5 earlier, and if we read verses 9 through 11, it says, When I wrote to you before, this is Paul speaking, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin, or are greedy, or cheat people, or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer 
yet indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worships idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people. Mm-hmm. And then he says this, don't even eat with such people. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a background to this. In early church culture, fellowship was such a premium in the church. People saw fellowship as one of the benefits of the church. They saw it as a privilege mm-hmm. that you got to do life in community. There was such a high premium in that culture on fellowship that Paul says it's even wise to kind of leverage that and say, hey, mm-hmm. if you are not in line with our beliefs as a Christian body, as the body of Christ, mm-hmm. then you cannot fellowship with us as the body of Christ. True. And so even restricting people from certain involvement, as you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. that is biblical. Yes. But again, the idea was that they would miss the fellowship so much and align themselves back into the order yes. and into the integrity, yes. uh, the holiness mm-hmm. that is Christianity or yes. that is expected of Christians, that they would align themselves so that they could fellowship again. And so, again, the idea is always to bring the person back, to exactly. restore the person exactly. and bring them back into the fellowship of the body of Christ. And this leads me to how I wanted to conclude this morning. When we've had to ex- execute discipline and, and our authority, it's most of the time has been taken with humility, with respect. People adhere to the to the disciplinary recommendations, yes. and uh, in most cases, they're restored back Absolutely. to 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 where they were and even better. That's one of the things that I, I'm so grateful to God about. That most of the people that have been on the receiving end of discipline, they are restored, and we see them serving again, and we see them leading yes, again and thriving. Sadly, there's a lot of churches where the pastor, the leadership, the board exerts discipline. And then the person just leaves, leaves the church because they're ashamed, because they're embarrassed. And I think this goes back to what Abraham was saying at the beginning. When you establish a culture of love and grace and benefit of the doubt and flexibility and mercy, when the time comes that you do have to Mm -hmm. exercise authority and implement discipline, the chances are a lot better that the person is going to take it in a loving, Loving humble... The way it's intended. Yes. Rodrigo. Once you have applied uh, discipline to any any people, in particular in the church, are you the ones that follow up with that person? Or you have like a specific uh, member of the church or the staff that follows up on the people that is supposed to have that discipline? Like, Yeah, I think it, it depends again on the situation. There are things that in, in our church in particular, we have a, co- a whole counseling ministry. Sometimes there's certain cases that they handle or some of the counselors handle. So they'll do the follow-up. Sometimes it's us. Sometimes we'll assign the follow-up to the leader of that particular ministry. Ministry will say, hey, listen, yeah, one of one of your volunteers is going through this and we've addressed it and these are the parameters, this these are the decisions that we made. Can you follow up on that? And again, we we it's a team effort because there's you know, with the growth is that challenge that we don't get to address every single case on our own. Job 5.17. Blessed is the one who God corrects, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. I think we mentioned it earlier. At the moment, it doesn't feel like a blessing. (laughs) But it is, yeah. But it is. It's a blessing. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it is worth it, right? It has a purpose. Discipline is never intended to condemn a person to eternal hell but has the goal 
of the sinner's repentance, restoration, and final salvation. Yes. That's the goal. And I want to read another scripture out of Psalms. And I think Rodney has that. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept in silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. When we're feeling not necessarily the wrath of God, but the correction of God over our lives, right? It feels like it's a heaviness. It's not an easy burden to carry. But when we realize it takes us to a purpose of thinking things through, conviction setting in, and us correcting our ways, and we feel like it corrects our path, it sets us on a better path, actually, towards salvation. You said something in that last verse, Rodney. You forgave the guilt of my sin. Mm-hmm. This is the psalmist talking about God. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that we should model as leaders and pastors. Because sometimes when somebody makes a mistake, and listen, we're human. People are going to make mistakes. Even as pastors and leaders, we make mistakes. We're sinful sometimes. And to not exercise that kind of grace is is ungodly. Especially when somebody submits to the discipline and to the parameters and the restorative process. Mm-hmm. On the back end of that, I think that pastors, we need to protect our hearts and we need to really ask God to help us forgive the guilt of the sin that was committed. Because if we're not intentional about it, we're always going to have something against that person. We're always going to see them with suspicion. We're always going to treat them a little less than. And I think that if we really believe the gospel that we preach, Mm -hmm. we believe that God restores. We believe in a God of redemption. Mm -hmm. We believe in a God of forgiveness, in a God of second, third, fourth chances sometimes. Just keep that in mind, pastors, leaders. When somebody submits humbly to the discipline and to the restoration process, give them a fair shot at a true restoration and being involved again. And I know there's different factors involved in those kinds of decisions. But overall, I'm just saying let's exercise that grace on the back end of the discipline as well. Well, definitely this was not an easy topic. <laughs> but we know it's it's so necessary and sure. comes out of the place of love from the Father towards His children. So thank you all so much. Thank you, guys. We love you. Yep. And God, so, bless you. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed being in the room with the leadership team at Vital Church. We pray that whatever takeaways you got from our time together will enrich your life, your leadership, and your spiritual walk. Remember to visit our website, vitalchurch.com, for all things Vital Church. And to follow this podcast so that you can join us for the next episode of In the Room.